Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PhD2B podcast, a podcast where we talk about graduate school. My name is Natalie, and on today's episode, we have a graduate student from the Bright Divinity School who is going to give us some insight into that graduate program as well as insight into her graduate experience. I hope you enjoy today's episode. super excited for today's episode. Um, I am going to be talking to, interviewing, conversating with Kat, who is a graduate student in the Bright Divinity School here at TCU. Yes. Hello. Hi. My name is Kat. Um, I am a grad student at Bright Divinity School. I'm currently in my penultimate semester. I've just finished finals, so yes. Ooh. Penultimate semester of the MTS program, so the Master of Theological Studies. And um, I was MDiv, realized that the Master of Divinity was just not my cup of tea, and then switched to uh, Master of Theological Studies. I have a previous background in history from Midwestern State. I have a BA and an MA. Uh, I did remarkably better in my MA than I did in my bachelor's. That's awesome. Because um, focus, and I will say that the bachelor's degree is the hardest thing I've ever done. So, wow yeah wow there's a lot already there that i'm like let's like yeah, dive right let's in. go into it yeah um first i just kind of want to give listeners a quick little sort of how did this even come to be <laughs> so i was working and um i was about to start working with a student um and um the one of the people sort of in charge at my job was like hey um, can Kat come observe you mm-hmm. because she was going to observe someone else and the session got canceled. The student never showed up, whatever the situation was. And I was like, sure. Um, and so Kat sits in the room with me as I'm waiting for my student to get there. Well, you know, some time passes and I'm like, okay, well, my student has, according to their rules, 15 minutes mm-hmm. till they are marked uh, as a no-show. And then from there, if they show up, then I can still work with them or I can tell them like, hey, I'm done. Well, my student never shows up. (laughs) And then the last student I was supposed to observe never showed up. So I think it's just me. I hope not. But hey, you know, that's the way that it ended up. Like four no-shows in a row. That is so funny. I did not. I should have asked you, like, if the previous student had showed up. Nobody showed up. Did anyone ever show up ever, like? In in the four observations I was scheduled, nobody showed up. And I I looked. I was just like. I think it's me. It's not you. <laughs> it's not you. It's the time of everyone was like, it's normally not like this. No, it's not. Like, it's a good first day. So, you know, that's okay. We'll we'll do more observations later. Right, right. So. Well, and in the time where we were waiting and hoping that my student was going to show up, we just started chatting. Yeah. And I learned that you're a history buff. Like, that's Definitely. like a big thing. But then I also learned you were in the Bright Divinity School. And so we started just talking about like Oppenheimer and Barbie. Right. <laughs> uh, Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. I feel like there's so much... I haven't seen Oppenheimer. I want to. Um, but I feel like as someone who loves history and wants to respect history and for what it was and what it what it lacks to give us, I feel like I'm just going to sit through the whole thing and be like, like, this is not it. Yeah. This is not. That's fair. You know, but I, I want to give the creative license you mm-hmm. know, to the filmmakers. But at the same time, I'm like, that's inaccurate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what we talked about when mm-hmm. we were just sitting there yeah. waiting. And um, it was 
fun. Like it was it a was. fun little introduction. And, and then you invited me to be on your podcast. And I was like, podcast? Yeah. What? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like it, I heard she was a grad student. We started talking about that as well. And the next thing I know, I'm like, hey, like I have a podcast. Do you want to be on it? And I was like, jump at the chance, of course. And here we are. Here we are. I'm so excited. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be, I've never had anybody as, if you've listened to the podcast, um, I've never had anybody from the Bright Divinity School. Mm. So I'm really excited to just kind of see what that part of tcu's like so it's that's a that's so strange that you know like tcu students will ask me when i worked with tcu students what's the relationship i'm like they're cousins that don't talk to each other exactly (laughs) so i was a part of the graduate student senate Mm -hmm. the past two years and one of the biggest things that the bright representative wanted Mm -hmm. was to have a better connection between yeah the grad population at TCU and the grad population at Bright Divinity School. So let me just kind of start there. Um, First off, like what is the Bright Divinity School? Well, it's a, it is a colloquium kind of an advanced theological education. So if you are seeking some sort of uh, knowledge, kind of discernment further, you know, foundation for the questions we ask about the divine, Bright is definitely a place to start, especially in this area. Um, it's progressive theological education, so it's not for everybody. But it is a place where history, spirituality, um, scholarship, it all kind of melds together. And seminary and divinity school, I believe, my understanding is seminary is when you're training for the priesthood, and divinity school is you're learning about it. Mm. I, that understanding could be completely flawed, but I know that there is a big difference. I was just in like about to purpose. say a separation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so nobody who goes, well, I don't want to say nobody, but the path, if you take the divinity school path, it's not, there is no training or? There is. Okay, okay. Def- it's, okay. it's foundational training. I think mm. it's a really good start, especially for someone like me who had no background in ecclesiastical matters whatsoever besides following my parents to church. Mm. Um, but it really lays that foundation down. And then if you are Episcopalian, Anglican, um, and more specifically uh, Catholic or Orthodox seminary is, you know, role specific training mm-hmm. for ecclesiastical work and ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. And so what kinds of um, like students, and even if, if you want to go into your own background, like what yeah. kinds of students decide to go through that route? Someone, you know, one of the reasons I chose Bright was because I had a lot of questions that never seemed to have any good answers. And then I realized there would be no answers halfway through the program. You can you can get those foundations for those questions. You can you can scan scripture all you want. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like some of these questions are like definitely personalized and up to you. And then your own interpretation of religious matters and spiritual traditions is entirely your own. Mm-hmm. So the type of student I think is at Bright is one who's definitely curious. Mm. about what lies beyond what you know the space between you me and god that is sacred mm-hmm. but what does that mean to you know for an individual mm-hmm. what is that and i'm I'm not an expert i haven't graduated with it you know mm-hmm. yet but I've, I've learned a lot i think yeah. that's really incredibly valuable to my own personal theological foundation and i had a lot of questions like mm-hmm. for example like what does it mean to really suffer like, what does it mean to to come out of that, you know, no pressure, no diamonds kind of thing? What, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. What is, like, is there a purpose in suffering? Does God make us suffer? And then yeah. I still don't know the answer to that question. Right. I'm like, <laughs> That's so incredible. 
it's, right. it's a, it's a trip. Yeah, I bet. I, I came out of a graduate program in history and started at Bright Divinity online because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. So everyone was incredibly welcoming and like anything you need, we're here. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. But I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm now about to graduate. Um, it is challenging, I think, to find kind of your way in the situation where you have no background in it. You're like, I'm just kind of observing at this point. Yeah. So like one of the reasons I chose Bright was because of this, the reputation of scholarship. Mm. And w- the other reason I chose Bright was because of the location. I knew TCU was an amazing institution and I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. Never been a part of private higher ed. Was scared about the cost. And right. I think my first three semesters were 70% covered by a mm-hmm. tuition remission. And now they have in- initiated this wonderful like ad- like advancement of that. And now I think for the, like, starting from fall to three years in advance, you have 100% tuition coverage. That's awesome. And that that has allowed a lot of really amazing people to attend Bright. To stay there, yeah. To stay and attend. And I, it's, I think theological education is a field that's dying. Churches are dying. Mm. And, you know, Bright, I feel like it provides that sort of maybe a seat where you can sit down and ask the questions with people. Yeah that are like you, not like you, mm-hmm. and have similar kind of like yearnings, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so I think I know the answer to, to this, but I just want to clarify, like, is this a majority like Christian sort of approach to theology? Like, is uh, are yes. there other religions there too? I, I would assume so it's, it's majority Christian mm-hmm. from what I understand. I know there are some people who are trying, who are of the Jewish faith, um, mostly Christian, um, Protestant denominations. I figured, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, my, my, uh, uh, my spiritual advisor, um, Father Foster, who is, uh, who attended Bright in, I think the nineties, um, one, I think one of his colleagues later converted to, or adopted Buddhism. Um, she earned her MDiv and was, um, a minister for a while and, I don't have a reference on that. I just remember him in conversation, yeah. you know, talking about that. And I, at, when I heard that, I was like, I have no idea what that means. Right. <laughs> no idea. Like I figured, you know, the first thing you choose in your spiritual tradition is like the thing you it's stick just with. It, yeah. That's just it. Your parents assigned you. This is, this is your number. This is where you sit. So what types of like degrees can people get from the Bright Divinity School? Yeah. So you can earn a master of divinity, which I believe is 81 or 82 hours. Um, and that is qual that qualifies you for practicing ministry, like congregational ministry. You still have to be approved by your specific denomination. Um, there's there's requirements that must be met. Supervised ministry. It's a very um, it's an intense process. It's an intense process, and one that I was like, you know what? I don't know that I'm for that. You know, I wanted the academic side of it. I didn't want the congregational ministry side. There's so many nuanced parts of it that I felt would not fit in my like career goals, mm-hmm. whatever those yeah, were at the time. Yeah. yeah. So then you can earn a, uh, the master's degree in theology or a master of theological studies. Mm. Um, a THM is requires a thesis. I only have kind of a final project, 20 to 40 pages maybe, but still it's challenging because you have to take a subject that you have been interested in, in your program and really, you know, find 
you have to rip it apart. <laughs> you know, you have to find something that you're passionate about and you have to dig a lot deeper. So it's kind of like a precursor to a thesis for the MTS. Gotcha. And then you can earn um, a PhD in biblical interpretation. Oh, okay. I didn't know they had PhDs. Oh, that actually, a, yeah, yeah, okay. Doctor of Ministry too. So yeah. if you have an, oh, M, wow. a, an MDiv, and then you go on to your Doctor of Ministry degree, mm-hmm. um, your um, Reverend Doctor last oh. name, and that, that's a really that's a really cool title. Gotcha. Wow. So there's PhDs. There's how many P two. PhD pass around if like, I had, like if I looked at the program they'd probably say like, no there's three but <laughs> no but yeah at least you're sort of around okay so you're kind of giving us an insight yeah. and then the two master's degrees or maybe more oh and then a master of arts in theology and ministry which is almost the Ooh. same uh, like that is like a really good way to kind of combine theological studies and then the art of congregational ministry because it is an art mm-hmm. I mean depending on which denomination that you're a part of it is an art so I think I want to get into more of the personal yeah, now okay. because it's just so fascinating. I mean, you've already shared that you um, have a bachelor's and a master's in history. Yes. And so with that, <laughs> that's a whole crazy thing in itself. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to quick give us a little bit of sort of an insight into sort of your grad path and yeah. how you kind of landed on this. I mean, we're all ears. Okay. So um, I started at Midwestern State in 2013. Um, I wanted to do history since I was 17 years old. I knew that I wanted to be a historian, but I didn't know how that was going to look. So I completed my Bachelor of Arts in History um, in 2019, May of 2019. It took me almost seven years. Um, I experienced lots of personal health issues, mental health issues. You know, it comes with the territory, which is, I wish it wasn't so common, but it kind of is. Yeah. And um, immediately, in, you know, applied and enrolled for my Master of Arts in History. And I was so sickeningly determined to prove to everybody that I was a better student than what my GPA reflected in my bachelor's program. It was a 2.7. I, I was granted conditional admission. They're like, you get a 3.0 or you're gone. And I just, that, that first summer of grad school, I did nothing but eat, sleep, live, breathe, like history and I was thriving it was the subject I had chosen the subject that I was the best at and then I settled on a thesis topic so I chose Christian Dior and the history of post-war fashion as it relates to economic and then the future of fashion and I just was oh that was like the that was the most incredible experience that sounds amazing it was so much fun I also focused on the history of tiaras jewelry um, high jewelry houses like Tiffany, Cartier, like I, I love shiny things. I'm like a crow, put shiny things in my nest. And I wanted to make that my career. I wanted to be the, you know, the lead curator of the Royal Albert, uh, Victoria and Albert Museum in, uh, in London. And I wanted, I wanted to do that or like the, the Globe Theater and for Shakespeare and curate those costumes. But something, when I graduated, something told me that I wasn't finished yet. And I can't really, I don't have like a specific moment, except I was in a support group meeting once. And then I just randomly Googled Bright because I had known about Bright. There was a church in Wichita Falls that um, was affiliated with Bright, the Disciples of Christ. You know, sometimes people would come from Bright and then do their supervised ministry. Like it was really awesome. So I, I knew about Bright and I randomly Googled Bright and I was like, oh, okay. I think I'm going to apply. Wow. The worst they can say is no. 
like, no, go away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The worst I can say wow. is no. So I interviewed for the, um, the spot and two weeks later they're like, Hey, you're in. And the, my first thought was, I don't deserve this. Mm. There's probably some students out there that really deserve this. I don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. And it's I, common in for grad students. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. You know, yeah. I had, I'd just published my thesis and I would, you know, now they, they don't give you like a physical book. Yeah. Some places don't do that anymore. That makes me so sad. Yeah. I have to pay for my own work. <laughs> Beautiful. I, it's just. It's Thanks, hard. academia. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> so uh, I still haven't ordered a physical book of my thesis and it's three years later. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know that I want to read it. That's fair. <laughs> I don't know that, I, that is fair. It was, it was, I wrote it in four weeks. Oh my gosh. I researched gosh. for two years and wrote it in four weeks. Wow. Because I'm a moron. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like I had the beginning chapter, like nothing edited, all my sources just kind of like a mess. And mm-hmm. then finally my grad advisor was like, you write this or you don't graduate this semester. Yeah. And it ended up, you know, I took 12 hour writing shifts. So like 12 hours with, you know, every two hours I take a break, like eat something like inhale a cup of tea or cough mostly coffee and red bull i'm gonna be mm-hmm. honest here it was mostly like high-powered caffeine and then i get back to it but i had all my notes like i knew what i wanted yeah. to say mm-hmm. i knew what i wanted to say so i was very well prepared with my sources organized like in a little folder on my little hp specter mm-hmm. and i sat on my living room floor in the middle of the pandemic writing my thesis wow i'll never do that again yeah <laughs> we do not recommend that yeah, for all those listening, don't do that. Yeah. That wasn't a smart choice that I made, but it's a choice that I made. Wow. And so you get accepted. Mm-hmm. And so what happens What happens next? I moved to Florida to be with my parents. Oh, And okay. um, everything's online. So this is a oh, very okay. fortuitous okay. opportunity. Okay. Like I wanted to be near my parents. And they live on a small, small island off the coast of Florida. And I was like, okay, this is really not a bad deal. Um, my parents had retired, um, as pretty much like the week after I graduated with oh, my bachelor's wow. degree and yeah. like, we're done. <laughs> and, um, they moved to Florida, mm-hmm. um, to a, an area that my family has been in for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I moved there. Um, I know that like having delicate health issues and then like being away from family mm. is a really scary thing. Yeah. So I flew to Florida in November of 2019. Hurricane Ada hits. Oh, no. And we were like, my parents were trying to, you know, get some stuff ready for a remodeling project. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have three days to get these thesis edits out. And they like the my thesis defense was amazing because they didn't rip me apart too badly. Nice. (laughs) Too badly. Nice. That's always great. You know, it was it was definitely unnerving. Like mm-hmm. the, the seven minutes that kicked me out of the Zoom mm-hmm. call to deliberate mm-hmm. was the longest seven, seven minutes. minutes of my life. Because I was like, oh, they're just going to, they're going to say, Mm-mm, no. Yeah. And they were like, uh, congratulations, you pass. And I just had this face. So I was like, huh? Really? Are you sure about that? Like, do you want to double check? <laughs> like, are you sure about that? Like, yeah, I wanted to like send an email to my grad advisor, um, Dr. Tiffany Ziegler, who was is was and is the most incredible grad advisor i've ever had that's amazing she is and she she's a medievalist and she taught a vikings course at midwestern state that i was just obsessed with that sounds cool like if you ever go to midwestern state talk to dr ziegler she's amazing i love that yeah so you finish your thesis 
and and this is finishing your thesis for your master's yeah my master's in history okay and i start bright a Mm -hmm. month later i I, I have never taken that a break like longer than two months between degrees (laughs) yeah i just don't do that yeah because that momentum that kind of keeps you going and we talk about that we have an episode where we talk about taking a gap year and sort of I've never taken a gap year. Nor have I. Um, I did take a year in between my master, not a year, a semester in between my master's and my PhD, but only because I graduated in December and the program didn't start until, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think thinking about it now, I'm liking that I kind of stayed with the momentum, but some people, obviously it's not their thing. It kind of, but for you, you were like, yeah, no, I got to keep this going. If I don't keep going, then I'm not going to go back Mm -hmm. because I knew what it was doing to my mental health, but I was doing it anyway. Um, yeah, grad school really, I, w- I don't want to say forced, but really pushed me in the direction of like extreme time management mm. and like prioritization of self care, like the first hour of every day that I had my first semester at Bright. And I, I kind of keep this tradition. I keep the first hour of my day to myself, mm. like whether Good. it's, you know, like self care, including like journaling, um, just checking my personal email, not my <laughs> school <laughs> email. email. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of gathering my thoughts, like my five minute list. What, what do I need to accomplish today? That must be done today, tomorrow, and the next, and then kind of keep that going. Yeah. And so my first semester at Bright was kind of like a shock because I wasn't prepared for how much reading I would have to do. Mm. It's all reading. And you had done a, a grad degree mm-hmm. previously. And so even then there was like a difference there. Big difference. Okay. Um, just but- goes to show you differences in programs too. You never know. It was, um, I was lucky enough that I had the time to do it because not everybody has the time Mm -hmm. and space to accomplish a grad program. And I often say that, you know, having a master's degree is a big accomplishment, but it also means that I had the time, space and funds to do that. Yeah. And not everybody has that. No, especially with a master's degree because those tend to have less opportunities for funding. Right. PhDs, same sort of situation, mm-hmm. but those tend to be funded more often than not. So yeah, yeah that's some good good and comment there. Like it was just one of those things where, you know, I was told to read everything twice. You know, read everything twice and take it with a grain of salt. It like what one of my professors recently said, based on other scholar, um, Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza, a hermeneutic of suspicion. Like take it with some some suspect. That feels very on brand, though, for like what y'all are trying to do oh, there, like yeah. sort of inquiring, thinking, questioning type mm-hmm. of deal. So, yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you not take a sus approach? To- like this is sus. But what I also didn't expect was for my own embedded theology that I had developed growing up and as a teenager in college for that to be completely dismantled. Wow. Yeah. All of that to be like, not that it was false but that it didn't align with the values that I had coming into Bright and now that I have leaving Bright. And that's huge because long story short of my religious background, like I grew up more culturally Catholic than, you know, than actually like, Mm -hmm. you know. And so when I did decide to essentially revert back to Catholicism, it was like unlearning a lot of things right. that I thought I knew or maybe misunderstood about mm-hmm. what it meant to be Catholic, a Christian and whatnot. And so even as I've kind of 
now I am a practicing Catholic, but even as I kind of continue on and I'm learning and understanding things, like for example, I had um, over the summer, I read a book called White Christian Privilege. Mm -hmm. And it basically really like made me think about like the privileges that I have as a Christian. I know I'm not white, (laughs) but what are some of the privileges that I do benefit from that and what that says? And it was really shocking. It was really yeah. sort of like, wow, understanding this approach. So people don't really talk about, I feel like that. So and so at Bright, we do talk about dismantling white supremacy. Wow. And we do talk about um, the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, it. I wasn't prepared for that. I just yeah. didn't know that would be discussed in theological right. education because I had always been told, you know, faith isn't political. Um, that's a lie. <laughs> Faith is very political. Yeah. I mean, from what I have understood is that Jesus was executed under the Roman institution for treason. For yeah, for being radical. For being radical. Yep. He was a threat to Roman decency. Yep. So that's 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 very political. It's very know? political. Yeah. And, you know, not every single, you know, person would go into a temple and flip some tables, but nope. you know, Jesus the Messiah would. Mm-hmm. And you know, at Bright we tried I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, I try to view Jesus in his Jewish context. Mm-hmm. You know, you, yeah. You know, yeah. That, I had never understood that before. It's really incredible once you actually start getting into it and like really understanding what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, everything in his life, you know, that we, that we can tell from scripture, um, which is not a lot. It's really not a lot. Yeah. Um, what we know is... Jesus was Jewish. He was raised in a Jewish mm-hmm. household. Mm-hmm. Um, and that impacts a lot of the way I see the New Testament. And I put, if those you can't see, but I'm, I have the quote fingers, New Testament. Mm-hmm. That's where that hermeneutic of suspicion comes in. What does it mean to be a new? Like, you know, we saying like Hebrew Bible instead of Old Testament. Mm-hmm. That comes with some weight. Because mm-hmm. like, you know, Jesus Christ, that's a Greek term. Mm-hmm. Christ, Christos, Greek. Mm-hmm. messiah is a hebrew term yeah isn't that just fascinating to think about like but i mean that's what what you're learning and yeah, doing right learning, at yeah. bright so it's so learning yeah. and unlearning the yeah. unlearning part was the hardest for me it is it, it is very hard especially like because you're at least in my case it's like i call myself like these things it's mm-hmm. like okay so what does that actually mean and, and the so, weight that it carries behind that oh yeah i think about that all the time um it's, it was one of the things coming into Bright and not realizing what I did carry with me and what I would leave at the door when I left. Mm-hmm. Like that, I'm a completely different person than I was when I you know, first started attending classes at Bright mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. There's some things I wish like I had known before going into you know, theological education and theological studies, but I'm glad I learned it the way I did. Yeah. Because, you know, Kat has learned things the hard way. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I think a lot of good things have to be taught the hard way. And that's something I think a lot of people aren't ready for. And, you know, young people, especially. And I think I think about this a lot, too, because like even when I started my grad program here, Mm -hmm. um, so I did my master's at Oklahoma State um, and I did it in literature. And so I transitioned over to Ph.D. in rhetoric and composition when I got here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember one of the first classes that I took and it, this is not about theology or anything like that, but I think what a lot of people don't really expect when they start a grad program, especially if you're in a good grad program, that you're going to have to unlearn and be challenged. And that's going to make you feel 
like you're not supposed to be there or like you're in over your head or that you're being challenged in a certain way that you're like um maybe contradict something that you really like believe in and a lot of people don't realize that that can happen even in spaces that are not about like you know this a theological sort of approach it's, it's like every field i did this i that i experienced that in a class on rhetoric like mm-hmm. on black rhetoric and like literacies and languages and just realizing what that means to teaching and write the teaching of writing like so i experienced that too and i think yeah. a lot of people don't recognize that that's another factor that you're going to experience yes definitely and i i wonder if you know if someone had told me like, hey, Kat, when you go into this program, you're not going to know anything, and that's going to make you feel worse. And I don't know that I would have continued. I don't know that. Because the reassurance I had from my colleagues at Bright was absolutely foundational to me staying at Bright. But the, you know, I have no denominational endorsement or connection th- at this moment that's affiliated with Bright. And I didn't, I didn't feel worthy of that especially when I was, you know, attempting to start the process of seeking, um, you know, the rights of ordination. But I will say that, you know, if it weren't for my colleagues, I would not be still be there. Like that, that's the part of every grad program I emphasize the most is like the people that you do choose to surround yourself with and the people you don't choose to, <laughs> you, you, you can, you can learn from both groups of people. And they're probably going through the same thing too. Definitely. Or they've gone through it and they are professors now teaching, you know, in those programs. And so it's like, I mean, again, I always, I feel like I always say this when I am recording for the podcast, but that's the reason why this podcast exists so that you guys know these things before you go into them. And so, you know, seeking, you know, if you are having those sort of moments where you're really being being challenged and it feels like it's like hitting your core of who you are, let someone know be like, hey, are you Reach experiencing out. this? Because like, this is what I'm experiencing and it's making me not want to be here. Mm-hmm. Not because of the program itself, but because it's hitting this weird part of my being that is making me second guess being here. It's like an imposter syndrome without being imposter syndrome. It's like you're sitting here, you're questioning whether yeah. you should be here, but it's only because this sort of thing is really challenging the way that you've been thinking and you're having to unlearn all these things. Um, So talk to someone definitely bring that up let like an advisor know someone that you trust in your program where you're getting sort of comfortable like being around because they're probably going to be like yeah like i've been there it's tough you're gonna you're gonna get through it you deserve to be here and just kind of keep pressing on like that's really important to, to voice and trying i think finding a mentor and not necessarily someone who you know is in academia but someone who can relate to the struggles of not feeling like you belong especially in a space where from one grad program to something kind of related, but not really like very different at its core. I was lucky enough to have people around me who had been through something like that. But uh, I wonder that, you know, going forward for students, it's just like surround yourself with the people who will encourage you, but also will, you know, check you and encourage you to be teachable. I love that. Be teachable. That's kind of like my educational philosophy is um, adopt the willingness to be teachable and adopt the willingness to understand. That's beautiful. I feel like so many people nowadays need that. It's it's hard. It know, is hard. Especially when it's something as concrete as theology. Mm-hmm. And I say that I say that kind of like jokingly, 
but you know, theology is, is very personal, mm-hmm. is extremely personal. And to go into a space where that is being dismantled, deconstructed, questioned, picked apart, that can do a lot to your mental health and to what you've known who you are as a person up until that point. And even though I'm not in a theological sort of program or anything like that, I've experienced that too. Yeah, it's common. And like, I feel like experiencing that has made me feel stronger in my faith just in general. So don't feel like this is going to completely change who you are, which I mean it can. I, I hate to come off as some sort of like, terror no no it really it really strengthens your own values that you hold that you have held and the values that will come to you Mm -hmm. and that you will develop Mm -hmm. it really challenges um power structures the dynamic that the way you exist in the world like when you study theology personally um like i developed a stronger sense of justice and what righteousness really means what does justice mean to um the world and to myself and that what it's changed the way I view people in a better way. Like I, I, I'm coming out of this program believing that people are inherently very good at their yeah. core. They're inherently divine beings mm-hmm. created yeah. to be good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, cho- I'm choosing to believe that yeah. coming out of this program. Yeah, no, I mean, I would, I would say that I've experienced similar things, and I'm, I'm in rhetoric composition. Like we're in English, but I, I've sort of grown to know that. And I feel like that's also part of just growing older and sort of experience, but, but it is something that happens and it can change you for the better. It can yes. change you for the better. I mean, it is going to change you. For you the do better. have to choose that though. Exactly. You have to be open to be teachable. Like you said, like you, you have, have to, to be, you have to choose that. And I like, it's something that my dad always used to tell me, you know, every day is a good day. Some days are better than others. And you can choose to be, you can, you can choose to have a positive viewpoint, no matter the circumstances you're in. And for a while, I was like, I call BS. Yeah. And now that I've, you know, studied, you know, my father's a man of deep faith. And so realizing where he's coming from when he says that mm-hmm. is more of the choice he made to view things differently. And eventually that changes the way that you see. You don't even have to think about making that choice. Right. I feel like. It like naturally. Like my husband tends to be a little bit more cynical than I am. And even though sometimes I kind of get a little sad because his cynicism kind of is making me want to be cynical. There's still something deep down inside that's like, no, you got to be hopeful. Um, And so I don't even think about it at that point. Like it just kind of becomes part of my being. So I really, really love the idea of being sort of intentional and choosing that. And then eventually you'll just kind of just be your like second nature to you. It's like muscle memory. It's beautiful. And same thing with theology. If you choose to believe, and I, I say believing, you know, choice and believing like that's a very loaded topic for me yes but you know in my personal experience i choose to believe certain things um like the non-existence of hell like i don't i don't believe in in hell i just choose (laughs) and this is i I have a feeling this is gonna really upset some people but i've that that choice and belief makes my life a little easier i'm living for those i love Mm -hmm. those i aspire to serve you know Mm -hmm. with that love and you know aspiring to live the the best possible way that i can yeah and that's in service of others or in in service of knowledge yeah so i I choose that so that i can continue to do such a thing i love that insight into sort of your understanding and your approach and obviously i feel like that's going to tie into your grad experience here in bright you know like that is i feel like is a good reflection of 
sort of your approach and the things that you think about. Um, and Bright has has developed that in me. Be, but before I came to Bright, I I saw grad school as a means to an end. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like give me a title, I will. I'll make something of myself. Like it. That's not. I had to realize really good. That's not how that works. Mm-hmm. You you know you have to. You can't keep what you don't give away, especially in terms of knowledge. There's no good way to just dismantle something and then toss that all out. So what does the day-to-day look like for a grad student in the Bright Divinity School? So I I can obviously only speak to my personal experience. It's chaos. Just lots of reading, (laughs) lots of papers, um, and lots of discernment and personal reflection that comes with that reading. Like every time I read something that a professor has assigned, I'm like, whoa mind blown i love that and sometimes not in a good way oh <laughs> just kidding <laughs> no so, sometimes it, it's like i it is typically in a good way but sometimes i'm like oh wow i never thought about that before and i have to realize that there's a lot of suffering that can come behind some of these these academic and scholar you know, scholarly positions um because a lot of human existence has been suffering and for most people you know was like history does shine light on a lot of the voices that haven't been heard before. Like most recently, like in recent scholarship with, you know, voices that have traditionally been marginalized and, you know, not, not heard. And then you realize there was a, so much wrong with everything. And there's, there's no way for, I'm totally going off topic here. There's no way to condone that. Like, oh, that was that just that time in that space. No, it was still wrong. Mm-hmm. It was still wrong to murder and it was still wrong to, you know, race it. Like there's mm-hmm. so many things that were wrong with that, but we can't dismiss that yeah. because of its own time and space. Like it, it's, it's just plain wrong. Yeah. And so basically there's a lot of thinking back and forth. Definitely. Like my, it's so funny. There's someone in my life who's very important who calls it noodles, like noodle thoughts. Like one just goes to the next. Ah, <laughs> I like that. And my brain is just spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. And so how big are the classes in Bright? The smallest class I've ever had was two people. Oh, and, the largest, and you were one of the two? I was one of the two. Wow. And the largest class I had, I think, was like 20, okay. 30. Oh, that's uh, actually pretty big. It's, it's yeah, like the intro courses, like um, Pastoral Care in a Complex World, which was my favorite course ever heard sounds cool right you know learning how to care for people in moments of crisis you know a death in the family in the in the event of their death and they know it how do you care for someone in that moment wow but i know that going into these courses i had no idea like what i was going to learn but i came out a better person for it so cool what's been your favorite class that you've oh you just said yeah pastoral care in a complex world Uh, but like i think the like i'm taking postmodern theology next semester and um letters of paul ooh, and like that comes with so much weight and light and dirt and struggle and who really wrote that mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's what really got me wow how many are, are there like a lot of course offerings yes. like yeah yeah there's a marvel theology and marvel course offering oh interesting next semester yeah i wish i could take that i bet nightcrawler he's catholic He's going to be oh, in there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nightcrawler. Um, I'm trying to think of another Marvel superhero. Oh, Steve Rogers, wasn't he? Religious? I don't remember. I, see, I didn't watch That's it. the only one I can remember because he's Catholic. 
They have a John Paul II and Mother Teresa comic of their life. I would read it. Through Marvel. Yeah. I would read it. Yeah. Um, I think they might also, they might have a St. Francis one. I would so, so maybe th- for context, for those who didn't know the discussion Natalie and I had before, we were talking about our confirmation saints. And I mentioned that I wished my confirmation saint was St. Francis of Assisi. And he was um, a monk, for, I think he's a Franciscan monk. Mm-hmm. And he is the patron saint of children and animals. Yes, he is. And... Um, and also a litany of other things which I love about Catholic tradition. It's like you, you don't just get one thing when you're a saint. You're the saint of many things. Yep. So you have a, you have a whole L- list of patronage. That looks so epic. I'm currently showing showing her a picture of a comic. Uh, yeah, Marvel. That looks so epic. Like he he's he's fighting demons. Yeah, and- he was <laughs> he was pretty cool. Um, this sounds like you guys got a lot of fun classes. Though. I mean, all of this of- seems like fun just in general, but even just that, like it's 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 fun, but like in a really challenging yeah. and dismantling way. Like you're you're trying to you know try to save the world, trying to fix the world's problems in mm-hmm. these these classes, and you're you're surrounded by really incredible people, mm-hmm. really incredible people. I love that. Um, so I don't know if we covered this already. So if I'm being repetitive, but you we we talked a little bit about like the cousins that don't yeah, really talk really, it's like we don't talk how um, does that impact your grad experience that's a really good question i think like today is the first day i've ever been in the library and i'm about to graduate um that's to nobody's fault but my own really at this point but i feel like there's a little bit of like dissonance maybe um you know tcu has always been really good about like the financial services part and you know, the housing, we have Librock Village for graduate students and, and for bright students. But there's, since that relationship is kind of distant, I feel as if there's so much more could be built from that. Like we, we at Bright are just as much TCU students as, you know, as, exactly. You know, and it feels kind of like we're kind of on the fringes of that. So it feels a little weird. You know, my, in my experience, I feel like, you know, I see undergrad students. I'm like, oh my God, they look like children. <laughs> <laughs> They're very young looking. Yeah. They get younger, younger and younger every year. Um, but I feel like TCU has made a great effort this year to include Bright Divinity um, in the students. I I can't give you a specific example. I just feel like there's a more warm attitude. That's good. I, I'm hoping that I'm right on that estimation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the English department, uh, occasionally but more in like the crest the critical not critical comparative something like that comparative race studies. and ethnic studies mm-hmm. um i've heard of the and i've never taken any classes over there but i've heard a lot of the some of the bright students some will sometimes take um classes there or in english uh i've heard also maybe some education classes as There's well a lot of writing we have to do okay a lot of writing okay so um, the best way to express an idea theologically for me is to write it. Because mm-hmm. if I just tried to give you, some, you know, process theology, I'd be like, uh, yeah, it's cool. So writing <laughs> is like the thing I, I feel like I'm best at when it comes to expressing certain theological underpinnings that are, you know, would take me 20 minutes and st- I would stumble through. But the writing, por- I feel like I was well equipped for the writing part of Bright Divinity School. Um, but I was not well equipped for the reading, like the the discipline that requires 
of you to read so often. Most of my day, day-to-day work um, for my, my studies is reading and then really analyzing what I've read. And then at the same time, trying not to read too deeply into it. You know, seeing how this relates to coursework, how this relates to my life, um, my view of the divine, and how I could use that information to help others or serve others. It just, it all kind of, you, it's a big spaghetti noodle bowl yeah. of like, what does this potential, like, where does this exist and it's a, as far as potential goes? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many classes do you take a semester? I take nine hours a semester. Nine hours. Okay. So yeah, it's, it tends to I be a little bit more. I have a friend who took like 12 and then like, <laughs> I was like, man, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just trying to graduate. I was like, I understand. Okay. okay. So, but there is that opportunity to kind of take some more classes. Yes. Yeah. Not recommended. Yeah. No. No. I, I, that would be terrifying. I, beyond. Yeah. Because there's so much introspection you already have to do with nine hours. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like the first class you take at Bright, you should let me rephrase that you should be able to make that choice for yourself but i would recommend maybe like six hours yeah taking it like take take your um intro to intro to christian history turning points of christian history Mm -hmm. and then maybe like a a course that really interests you Mm -hmm. i took a dead sea scrolls course my first semester Mm -hmm. and that was so interesting yeah like realizing that there's just like some grocery receipts in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like there's there's some there's some stuff that's related to scripture and there's stuff that's completely not related to scripture. Wow. And stuff that we might be missing from scripture. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of like, what? Yeah. Well, how come they didn't tell me this in church before? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's so fascinating because like I have a, I have a friend um, who, she has a YouTube channel. I've mentioned her before. She's got a prayer channel and um she's kind of been sort of thinking about like how she can take her channel to the next level and sort of with scripture and whatnot and i keep recommending her not for and not because i don't think that this is something she's not doing or whatever but like i'm like you really need to learn more church history and like history of yes christianity and whatnot just because i think that that's only going to give you more i mean obviously more of an understanding and so it's wild it is the first three centuries of Christian, which is what my project is over, is mm-hmm. wild. Yeah, like, ooh, I feel like we should all, and, and I mean, I don't know, because I don't know everybody else's sort of background, but like, in Catholicism, we get that. Obviously, we don't get that to the extent of you, like, mm-hmm. going into, like, a whole Same program. Same thing in the Anglican Church. You don't get that full scope of Christian history just by listening at the pulpit. No, 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 no. Like, you, you, you have to do sort of your own research. You do. As a Christian, I feel like you have to do your own research. It's like, because the priest you know can only do so much and you can go to talks and you can learn and but you have to do more than just go to church on sunday and be prepared to be very unsettled by what you discover when you do your own research and you probably will kind of maybe like there's because catholics are very much you know scripture and tradition and Mm -hmm. the church like there's still so much even more there history is that missing link because yeah with especially with like the first three centuries of christian history the early Jesus followers were trying to figure themselves out. Yeah. And, you know, I was under the impression that persecutions were like empire wide the entire time. They were not. Mm-hmm. They were very local. Mm-hmm. Domitian and Nero, like em- those emperors, had some pretty um, heinous views of Christians. Mm-hmm. But on for the most part, they were localized persecutions. Yeah. If you did not swear to the imperial cult yeah. and participate in sacrifices, which was considered treason. Yeah. So um, this idea that Christians were 
constantly martyred across the in the roman empire that was huge mm-hmm. massive mm-hmm. um not the longest or the you know the mm-hmm. biggest empire most contiguous but it was it was uh, so much to rule yeah so i mean there there comes a lot of like dismantling what you have been told and taught or even just learning something you didn't know. even know in the first place right like yeah. i think that's at least sort of my understanding because whenever i've been sort of uh challenged or sort of it's 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 more of stuff that i just didn't even know yeah um which is great because it it kind of shows that i've learned at least you know some of things that aren't necessarily wrong right Mm -hmm. so it's like okay so so what i was learning actually was like legit okay but now there's so much more to give me a better understanding so deeper exactly yeah exactly and i think a lot of people i mean i feel like that's what graduate schools sort of like too it's like there's Mm. so much more to what you think that this is going to be like like it broadens everything everything really beautiful way i wouldn't be the same person if i didn't go to grad school same i wouldn't be the same person if i didn't come to tcu and bright and i i feel very like lucky that i've had this experience even as short as this degree has been i feel like i would i wouldn't want to replace it with any other institution any other scholars that I've, you know, studied with and that have taught me. And it, like, it makes everything so much more bright and beautiful. Bright and beautiful. <laughs> Look at me. I love that. I love it. Um, I mean, on that note, like, what do you think your favorite thing has been about being at Bright? I know you're not done yet. You're close. Very close. I'm seven hours away. Yeah. So what, what would you say has been your favorite thing so far about this program? Knowing that I will never know knowing that I will never know. And that's okay. I am unknowable. Who says that? Man, I don't remember. Is I, it, is it a Michael Scott? I am unknowable. Oh, I don't know. I, I can't remember. Like Socrates or something. Oh. <laughs> no, it's Michael I mean, Scott. I, it might, I mean, I don't know. I just kind of said that. Um, my favorite part has, is the, the serenity that comes in knowing that I won't know. You know, and, and if I may say, oh, it's Dale Gribble from King of the Hill who Even says better. I am unknowable. Even better. I know. Um, you know, I, I was interviewing someone for my dissertation, not for the podcast, and he uh, also Anglican background, mm. and he said like he he's teaching at a a Baptist university where there tends to be more of a black and white sort of approach. There's no room for that mystery, and he said that he really loves that his own religious beliefs and approach allows for that room to yeah. just not know in that mystery and i really resonated with that as a catholic because we kind of are also in sort of in that same way of like just knowing that it's gonna be okay that you don't know things and you may never know and just being happy with that mystery yeah that, that mystery beautiful. is actually what i believe the divine is that 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 space between you or me like the space between us or the space between me and my question and that the journey it takes to get there that's god to me and that I didn't really, like, I didn't know how to put that into words for the longest time. Like that, that discernment, that path that you take, I feel like that that's kind of, you know, that's, that's, di- that's divine. It's something that is, you know, required of you. If you, if you have a practicing a faith tradition, you know, some, some research is required. I feel like a, a little package label should come like, here, choose your faith tradition based on X, Y, Z. And here's a warning label. In Christian, I feel like some, you know, Protestant Christianity should come with. 
there's a lot behind this, but I promise it's going to be okay. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people don't know that. And that's a really sad thing. A lot of pain comes from that. Yeah. And that's why, if I may say this, hope I don't make my Protestant listeners mad, (laughs) but like, that's why I like being Catholic because it's not just about scripture. It's not. There's so much there with history and tradition and just everything that like I can't solely just use the Bible to understand God and Jesus and all of those things like that's why I love Catholicism like yeah there's so much beauty and there being a breath of just knowledge out there it's so cool but there's you know there's a um, St. Michael's Abbey that I follow on Instagram and they're a group of monks and they always do really, really beautiful, like informative reels on their, their faith and what they believe. Um, some things I agree with, some things I'm like, oh, I could take it or leave it. But it really, like that dedication to the education of the faith is like one of the reasons I ended up at Bright anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, if the more transparent that you become about your faith, especially to people who are experiencing that pain and questioning and dismantling and in a space where they can't do any of that. You know, I, I feel like, you know, like even just Instagram reels, like there's some peace in that. Yeah. Even if it's not something that you subscribe to normally Mm -hmm. in your own spiritual path. I mean, just explaining it the best and like myth, Myth does not mean false. Myth means this is the best way we had to explain it at the time. Mm, I like that. It's like maybe we didn't have scientific reasoning to explain it at the time, but myth does not mean false. Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't never, I never knew that, but that makes a lot of sense. When I first heard that, I was like, wow. I know. There's so many things I've been calling myths that are like kind of true. Yeah. Like this is it, it this is true. Mm-hmm. It's just the way we've explained them for thousands of years mm-hmm. was the best way we had at the time. Um any advice that you have for maybe people interested in going to grad school in general or more specific are thinking of pursuing a similar path that you're pursuing or even more spe- even more specifically than that bright divinity school mm-hmm. any any advice you'd like to give. You are wildly capable. You are wildly capable. If I can do it, you can do it. Um, Just be prepared to question things you've never thought about questioning before. And this goes for any grad program. Be prepared to dismantle and be prepared to be an agent of dismantling. (laughs) And be prepared to live in your own own head a lot. Um, And if you're not comfortable there, reach out. Reach out and seek help because... No one needs to struggle. Some people end up struggling. You don't need to struggle. There's a lot of us out there that really, you know, we want to help and we want to see everybody else in our in different programs succeed too. And you're not alone. And that's that's all the ad- advice I can give about general. But if you want to attend Bright, just be prepared to read a lot. Be prepared to um, engage with people that you've never encountered before and then realize the beauty in that. Anything else you'd like to add that maybe I didn't ask you or anything you want to share before we wrap up? I think I I also want to provide that like grad school is not all doom and gloom because I feel like I've just given that like this whole like this whole podcast. It's really not. There are some amazing experiences. I think my air of caution comes from like these are the things I wasn't told. 
exactly. when I entered into grad school. But no, grad school is awesome. Do it if you can. If you can't, I, you know, there's there's no fault in that. But if you can, if you're willing and you are able, I 100 billion percent recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great, great um, statement to sort of end on. And thank you for having me here, Natalie. You're thank the best. you. <laughs> thank you for being here. Um, this is such a good conversation. This was a really rich conversation. Um, if you want to come back and talk about something else or just talk about this more, we can have another episode. I guess if anybody has any questions for like, you know, I guess contact Natalie and yeah. I'd be happy to help answer them. I don't know everything, but um, there there is hope. There is there is there's hope for us yet, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I and mean, I can wrap up with that. I mean, if y'all have any questions specifically for Kat or about just sort of our conversation in general, you can email us at the PhD2B podcast at gmail.com. Or like I say, usually, if you've listened before, you can email topic suggestions. Or if you want us to talk about anything, I can, we can find a way to get some answers about graduate school in some way, shape or form. Um, and then you can go ahead and uh, follow us on our Instagram page at the PhD2B podcast. Thank you again for being here. Thank you, Natalie, for being awesome. <laughs> You're so you're so great. You're so great. This is so fun. This was so fun. I've uh, never done a podcast before and now I'm like I feel seasoned and experienced. It's fun. It's a good time. Um but yes, thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.